number nine, number nine, number nine. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to podcast number nine. It's Drew and Julie again. I'm going to keep counting. Uh, and I hope one day we <laughs> podcast number 109. How you been? I've been good. What have we got to podcast number 100? We only have 91 more to go. 91 more to go. <laughs> And we're exhausting all of our topics that we're interested in. Hey, you know what? Tonight, as we gather Mm -hmm. late night at Julie's abode, her Mm -hmm. mansion, we've been like, we've done nine podcasts. We've been in like seven different rooms in your mansion. Anyhow, um, they're all perfect for sound. It works out ideally. Hey, um, the Rockies tonight, who've not won many baseball games, I think everybody's noticed in the second half, they win a ball game 2-1 to over the St. Louis Cardinals. It was like an old-fashioned Dodger game, ones that don't happen very frequently at Coors Field, and especially this year for the Rockies where their starter ERA is over six. Chichi Gonzalez, great story. He pitches his second straight really good ball game, gets his first win, Julie, as you saw, since 19, oh, 19, how about 2015, four years ago. Now, he was hurt, and then he had He got the, his first win in four years? First year in four years. He was a former number one pick, and he you know, has gone through injury. He's yeah. gone through rehabilitation, gets back. The Rockies lost his first nine starts. At the end of the day, he didn't get all the losses. And some of them, he pitched well enough to win. Mm-hmm. Last two especially, but they finally get a win tonight. Nolan hits a monstrosity of a home run in the first inning, and he pitches six strong innings. The bullpen made it hold up. It was it was a fun game. Well, I would say, because I did, I did see part of the game, um, it reminds you of, wow, that was a great, that was a real baseball game now don't get mad that i it's just been a such a a tough time lately you see that it's competitive it's competitive against a really good team right And you go oh yeah this is what it's like right at Coors Field, and you you kind of miss it but um i think it was a much needed win and a a well-timed win Uh, absolutely because the the rockies finished a one and five road trip yeah it's been horrendous there's no other way to describe it i mean last week we're picking out words to describe (laughs) what what's become of this season right uh it it turned bad and then the rockies had a multitude of injuries it was already bad and and it just i mean it fell off a cliff and to get a win, just, guys care. I mean, it's not like you go, okay, we're not going anywhere. They care. And, I mean, they were really happy after that victory. I went in the clubhouse. They're really happy for the entire team, but they're really happy particularly for Chichi Gonzalez because this this is a great young man and a guy that, as we talked about, he's, he's gone through a ton. And to get his first win in a while and it to happen kind of an old-fashioned way, two to one, mm-hmm. it was fun. So when you look at this pitching staff next season, there's a still a lot of question marks, whether it's injury or whether it's from performance from this year. Where does Chichi Gonzalez fit into that? Julie, that's a great question because the yes. Rockies, you pat yourself on the back again. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Don't yeah. wear yourself out. Um, <laughs> no, it's a great question because here's what you do know. You're going to pencil in Herman Marquez on opening day. You're going to pencil in John Gray one of the first three days and hopefully Kyle Freeland one of the first three days um, after Hermann. After that, and you need, we all know you need a bounce back season from Kyle Freeland. After that, it's wide open. You, you hope Tyler Anderson's healthy again and you know figures what, in the mix. I was thinking that though, but I feel like, God, you know, that he gets hurt. 
That's kind of following him around. Yeah, he, he's dealt with injury, no question. Mm-hmm. Antonio Sensatella has to get uh, another secondary pitch. Uh, the ball's in play too much. He doesn't miss bats. Then you take a guy, to your question, like a Chichi Gonzalez, uh, and and can he be in the mix for one of the back end of the rotation guys? Well, if he pitches like he did the last two starts, you'd say absolutely. If he pitches as he did, uh, I think, three starts ago where he didn't last very long, you say, not, not that that doesn't happen to any pitcher, um, but I, I think Chichi can be in the mix. I think his stuff is good enough to be in the mix, and he is made of the right stuff. Mentally, he's tough enough, and you know you're going to need more than five anyhow. So to me, Chichi Gonzalez is a guy that you definitely want to keep in the fold, and you hope he continues with, you know, he gets two or three more starts, whatever it is, the rest of the way, and you hope that continues. But I've been intrigued, and I'm sure the organization has, over what we've seen over the last two. Great Dodger team at Dodger Stadium, pitches really well. At home against a red hot team in, in the Cardinals, as we taped this podcast, they were 23 and 7 coming into tonight over their last 30 and really swinging the bats well and playing good defense and, and pitching well. So, you know, two, two starts that, that get your attention. So, one of the things that I noticed about tonight, actually watching it on TV, is the amount of red in. At Coors Field, but that's not a surprise, right? Like the uh, the Cardinals always, I feel like, I don't think it's travel well, but they have a lot of fans all around the country, like the Dodgers, like the Cubs. For me, Cardinals fans are incredibly less offensive than Dodger fan or Cubs fans. It's just such a, it's such a legendary team for me. The Cardinals, yeah. To me, it's I, I get less offended when I see when the Cardinals come in town just because they have such loyal fans. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I understand it. Does it bother you? Yeah, to a certain degree, you know, the Cubs fans are really vocal, you know, the Giants fans, you'd say they travel well. Some of it is like take the Cardinals. We I think we've talked about this before, but the Cardinals, because of Camo X, before the Rockies came into existence, when you lived in Denver and you were a hardcore baseball fan, you wanted to listen to Major League Baseball, you turned on KMOX, which is like, you know, KOA in town. Mm-hmm. It it had a signal at night that and it still does, it reaches, you know, 30, 40 states. I mean, it's a ridiculous, uh, ridiculously powerful station. So a lot of people in Colorado were Cardinal fans. And I'm sure they're all thrilled that the Rockies are here, but there's strong allegiance to St. Louis. The other thing is uh, and Buddy pointed this out because he was asked this in his post-game presser, and I think he's right on the money with this response. We live in such a beautiful place that if you are, uh, you know, live in the Midwest and you're a Cardinal fan, or you live in the Midwest and you're a Chicago fan, you say, "Hey, you know what, honey, or, or the or the buddies get together, or the girls get together, let's go out to Denver. We'll hang out for the weekend, or we'll hang out for a few days. It's beautiful. We'll run up to the mountains. We'll hang out in Lodo, and we'll also go catch our team play the Rockies a couple of times." So I think that is what occurs. You know, it, it's somewhat of a compliment to where we live, but it's also a compliment to those teams that have been around uh, many of them for more than a hundred years, and they are going to have a large fan base. Some that's been displaced and now live out here, and some that just decide to travel. Speaking of travel, that sounds like you're talking about Nebraska fans. Because I'll just take a shot. Like, what else do you do in Nebraska but get in your car and go to other places? And that. <laughs> That was that, Julie, in case you was... can't tell the difference between our voices. <laughs> that CU Nebraska game, fantastic game. We all know that. Unbelievable. And we're game. talking, you know, days later from that. 
But I think we can all admit to see all that red. And Nebraska, I know, travels really well. But to see all that red, it was a little bothersome. It It was because we always know, especially at Folsom Field, there's going to be a portion, a big portion of red. It's going to be the western part of the stands on the flat iron side. That's where the visitor visiting fans sit. But it was everywhere. I mean, it looked like almost 50-50. I heard it in one piece I read in the aftermath. Describe, and I was watching on television um, from the West Coast, but I heard one piece described it as 60-40 Nebraska fans. And a lot of Colorado fans sold their tickets, probably a lot of students did the same thing, sold their tickets um, for a few bucks to a Nebraska fan. That would not happen at LSU. It would not happen in Austin, Texas. There's a lot of places it wouldn't happen. I don't have a problem with that. You know what? I, I actually don't have a problem. If you can pay for your season tickets for one game, do you have a problem with somebody doing that? You're going to tell somebody... I'm you can pay for the rest, the the rest of your entertainment for the season. It's up to the program to make you. It's up to. Then why CU. doesn't it happen? Why doesn't it happen in some of those aforementioned places in because Alabama? They, they wouldn't do it. Right, in, they have much t- better programs historically for years and years. That's up to CU. That's up to Mel Tucker, who I like, moving forward to create this allegiance this and winning. We, to make people not want to sell their tickets. Yeah, but Julie, you remember 20 years ago, even when Colorado was a national level program, a top 10 program, there was still a sea of red amidst the black and gold. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't as pro, you know pronounced as we saw it this year. Um, I just think that, that there's somewhat a degree of apathy when it comes to you know, passionately following college football, which is disappointing because I think Mel Tucker naturally is off to a great start. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I applaud what what uh, Rick George has done in terms of scheduling in that think about CU. They open with Colorado State, which is great for, for college football fans in our area. Great. Love it. Number two, they play Nebraska which mm-hmm. we touched on this in the last podcast. I miss those long-standing rivalries. It's awesome that these two schools are getting together. Mm-hmm. And then their third week, they play Air Force. Yeah. There's apathy because they don't win. The rise, the rise was created this great momentum. That was fun, right? And then what happened the, la- the next year? Well, they started 5-0 and and then they lost seven in a row. Right. I. This is a fantastic sports town that supports... Well, they support the Broncos no matter what, win or lose. This is a great Bronco. This is a great sports town. Okay, this is an excellent sports town. But is first, foremost, first, last, and in between, um, a Broncos town, a pro football town. I guess it's the only sport. It's the only team here that whether they win or lose, they still get support. Because I, mean, I was doing Nuggets and Avs, and you've been doing those teams too. When if they don't win, they don't draw. You know that is a fact. But what yeah. I'd like to see is, you know, what, what I'd like to see, we want to see full stadiums for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, CSU, even the years where they had, not, you know, great programs under Sonny Lubick, unless they were playing a name opponent, they weren't coming close to filling up Hughes Stadium. It'd be like 23, 24,000. And they were, they were a top 25 program, you know, a number of those years. Did we almost get in our first fight? You and I? Yeah. No, not close. Not yet. Okay. That's going to be podcast number 10. It's coming. It's not for, wait, we're not done with this one yet. <laughs> we were going to talk about the Broncos. 
coming up in a little bit. But when we come back, we talked about at the start, we talked about what the pitching rotation is going to look like and what's going to happen with a bullpen. You talked to when we come back after the break, you talked to Scott Oberg, which is going to fit in hopefully really nicely into that bullpen because he's been one of the few bright spots. Yeah, yeah. And and Scott is obviously out for the rest of this year. He he dealt with blood clots again. Um, But uh, Scott is Scott is a terrific guy, as you'll uh, hear in this interview. And he's pitched very, very well the last year and a half. Hey, but before we get to that interview with Scott Oberg, I want to talk to you about my good friends at Ideal Home Loans. I talk to you guys about this every podcast. It gives me great joy because they are terrific at what they do. Brent Ivinson is the owner. It was started in 2001. They're local, and they're going to save you a lot of money, especially where interest rates are right now. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. The number again, 303-867-7000. They don't want you to miss out. Rates at some point are going to go up again, and that's why we put you in charge of the mortgage experience. You make the choice to save, and everyone who's looking to save money, but uh, everybody has a different situation. Sometimes it's just consolidating debt. You have credit card debt, and you want to find a way to consolidate that. They're terrific at doing that. They have a wonderful staff, and they have great ideas that will save you money. They have a longstanding history of doing that. Just give them a call. You'll be pleased you did. There are thousands and thousands of people that are repeat customers. 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. 303-867-7000. Okay. As we're talking about, we visited with Scott Oberg recently, and here's our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. First and most obvious question, how are you feeling and what is the prognosis? Uh, Right now, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, You know, all things considering, um, honestly, I kind of, I'm feeling a little bit better I feel like this time around um, that I did previously three years ago when I went through the blood clot issue. Um, so right now, you know, we're just um, working with the trainers and going to be moving forward, working with PTs back home, just getting, you know, range of motion, um, start some light strengthening, and then I'll go and see the doctor again and, um, you know, hopefully progress into more sustained heavy body, you know, uh, upper body heavy lifting, um, you know, doing some lower body stuff right now and then uh, kind of progress from there. Can they give you any reasonable assurances, as reasonable as a, as a medical team can be, that this is still isolated? Yeah, I mean, the doctor seemed pretty pretty confident that, you know, this should be the, the last time we go through this uh, ordeal again. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, you know, nothing guaranteed, no 100%. So, you know, we'll just monitor it and, you know, try to do everything we can to, to pre- prevent it moving forward. Right. Now, obviously, health is, is number one. From a personal standpoint, you were having an extraordinary year. How disappointing is it not to be able to finish it off? Again, the, I, we'll get to the team portion of mm-hmm. this, but individually, I mean, you were as good as it gets in baseball this year coming out of the pen. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, with some of the adjustments that I made over the last year and a half, I was definitely happy to kind of find some consistency throughout this uh, this season. Obviously, it's a little disappointing that I didn't get to, you know, go uh, a full six months and you know put in a full 162 game workload. Um, but I am happy with where I'm at right now. And obviously, you know, when any health issues kind of come up that are you know as concerning as. Uh, as some blood clots can be, you know, obviously that's, um, you know, we need to address that right away and move forward and make sure that, uh, you know, 
that gets taken care of and, and health obviously becomes a priority. You know, success and failure for what you do is such a fine line. A little more than a year ago, you were struggling, you get sent out. You come back, and from that point forward, it's not like your arm changed, not like you picked up, you know, eight miles an hour or the slider got sharper. Why have you been able to put it all together over the last year and a half? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, I got asked this, I've been asked this, you know, multiple times over the course of, especially this season, I think more so than last, um, you know, there was some success and I think, you know, it was still kind of a wait and see type of, uh, type of moments. But, um, you know, for the, I think the first thing was, was just kind of cleaning up my delivery, you know, having a more consistent, repeatable delivery where, you know, I'm putting my, my body and my arm and my release point in a position where, you know, I can kind of repeat a fastball and having command, having true command of a fastball, putting myself into much better counts, throwing quality pitches over just strikes in general, um, you know, puts me in a better position to succeed. And, and with that, you know, those two kind of work in conjunction together, you know, um, having the repeatable delivery, having a repeatable fastball, um, you know, obviously sets up the breaking ball and puts me in more advantageous counts and um, puts, puts hitters in more defensive positions where, you know, now I get to dictate the at-bats rather than, you know, sometimes in the past, uh, you know, I, I would give that, that leverage away. And, and now, the, now the hitters are, are in the, you know, spots where they can kind of, you know, do some damage and or just wait me out and and um, you know put guys on for free and everything like that. But you know, and also too, you know, the mental aspect of just seeing seeing the results, seeing the workload every day, creating good habits of um, you know constantly working on on the small things and you know understanding that you know you know all these little steps along the way are eventually going to show you know in the long term and um you know so i was really happy with uh with that and you know every time that i'm having success you know it's going to breed more confidence and you know i knew i had um some good qualities some good abilities in the past and it was just more about you know figuring out what actually works um what doesn't work and you know kind of early on figured out that um, you know, the two seam fastball maybe wasn't wasn't for me. It was definitely a pitch that had gotten me up to the big league level, but getting big league hitters out on a consistent basis took me a little bit longer to um to recognize and you know, when I did get sent down it was um something where I made that switch over to the you know, heavy four seam usage of the fastball. So just kinda of staying on a much straighter line and um having better command and control of that pitch moving forward you know, just setting everything else up. So that, that I think those are kind of kind of the three things that, that really stick out in my mind. You know, I know it was a short window, unfortunately, because of the blood clots, but handling the ninth inning, did it change your mindset? Did it change your preparation? Did it change the adrenaline rush? Did it change the butterflies when you ran in from the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like you said, it was it was a short, short-lived time. Um, you know, it was definitely exciting to be, you know, kind of, Given the responsibility of the ninth inning, you know, it's definitely, um, it can be a little bit of a different animal. Um, you know, I saw a quote recently where Wade uh, had said that there's just kind of more emotion attached to the ninth inning, which is a little bit more tangible. 
um, when you're out there. Um, you kind of feel that, feel that energy in the ninth inning a little bit more. Um, but, you know, basically I just try to treat it as normal as I, as you possibly can and kind of downplay, um, you know, the outside external pressures and, you know, just really continue to stay focused on uh, the individual batter, the individual pitch and focusing really, you know, on, uh, on staying connected with, with the glove and, and with my process. And, and, you know, I feel like as long as I'm able to do that, you know, hopefully the, um, you know, the results will be there on throwing quality pitches and getting ahead of guys and, and doing the same things that I would do in any other inning or any other situation. You only know altitude, at least as a as a major leaguer. When somebody comes here from another bullpen, you mm-hmm. know, Ryan Shaw came here uh, a couple of years ago. When you have discussions about what it does to the body, what it does to ball movement, what it does to recovery, what kind of things are you imparting? You know, I, you know, when when guys come up to me and, and we talk about altitude, um, you know, it, it, it can be tricky because at least from a pitching standpoint, you know, every guy's ball is going to do a little bit different the way they hold it, the way they they come through their delivery. Um, you know, so to me, you know, it's it's just trying to help guys understand that your pitches are going to be a little bit different here. They're going to be maybe not as sharp as, as they might have been in the past or, you know, as they, as they are on the road. And, you know, I feel like the one thing that I've kind of found is that, you know, it's just – the the margin for error on the release point is a lot smaller um, than when you go on the road. Um, so I think, you know, once guys can kind of understand that and be able to repeat a consistent um, release point, especially on breaking balls, because that's um, definitely a pitch that gets affected the most, um, you know, you can see when guys throw good ones, it's the release point was right there. Everything was working perfectly. Their timing was really, really good. You know, so that's kind of something where it's like, okay, it's kind of hard. You know, it's easy to say and a lot harder to do until sure. you really actually go through it and you really get a full a full feel of, um, you know, half a season, a few months, whatever it may be. And then going back and forth between going on the road and coming back home and, and really noticing the differences, right. you know, cause a visiting player coming in, he may think he feels something or he doesn't think like it's that big of a deal. And it's like, all right, well, you know, that's great. You only had one outing here. Right. Um, you know, try to have multiple, you know, try to go through a full season, multiple seasons, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, as far as the recovery on the body, you know, you're, you just have to drink as much water as you possibly can, more more so than anything else, um, and try to get as much sleep as you possibly can. And that's really the best that you can you can right. do. And you know that just puts you in the best position to really recover from the wear and tear that we take when we when we, when we go out and we play and we pitch. In light of what transpired the last couple of years and the great success and going to the postseason and winning a dramatic wild card game and you were central in that obviously in Chicago last mm-hmm. year and then the high expectations of this year and the grand disappointment from a player's perspective, how have you handled it and how has it affected the core group inside this clubhouse? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously been um, – disappointing to not be able to uh, 
repeat some of the success as a team that we've had the last couple of years. You know, obviously we lost some key players and we added some guys along the way. And, you know, we all know that rosters will change from year to year and, you know, month to month and sometimes day to day. But, um, you know, for me, I just tried to go out there and do everything I possibly could to help the team win that night. And, you know, obviously I'm happy with the way that I threw the ball, but collectively, you know, obviously it's still a disappointing season, um, you know, when we look back on this and, uh, you know, hopefully it's, it's, it's something where we all can learn from, um, that, uh, going to the playoffs is a hard thing. It's not, it's not easy and it's not guaranteed. And, um, you know, you have to continue to fight every single day. And, you know, I think for the most part, you know, obviously it's been, it's been tough on, on guys, um, you know, but we, we all know that, how capable we are, you know, we have a lot of the, the core players and it's nice that those core players are also our best players and our, and our leaders at the same time. So, you know, leaning on those guys, helping out younger guys, letting them learn. And, you know, this is, you know, it's almost a silver lining right now in the fact that you get to see younger players and you kind of get to see the next wave of, of Rockies kind of come through and, get their feet wet and you know if they fail you know it's okay because we aren't going to the playoffs and right. you know it's a nice opportunity it's a nice learning opportunity for a lot of guys yeah speaking speaking of that how proud may be the, the wrong word as a teammate i'm sure you're proud of the growth of carlos estevez and jairo diaz this year yeah no i mean you know from from a bullpen standpoint you know it, we have our own little group down there and you know we're we sit in culture it, it, it really is because you know we're pitchers and we're part of that group but the starters are in the dugout they're with the position position players they're with the coaches all the time you know we're secluded in our box and you know it's the running joke that we feel like zoo animals right. most times because we are literally sitting in a box and people can kind of come over right. over the railing and look at us but you know uh, from that standpoint, you know, as a group, like, um, you know, I couldn't be happier for those guys, you know, being able to see those guys pitch on the plus side of games and do well. And, you know, and some of the growth that Estevis and, and Iroh have had where, you know, you can see the consistency of their deliveries, the consistency of their breaking pitches. And, you know, every time they're doing well, the confidence is going through the roof. And, you know, Iroh's getting a chance to close out games right now. And Estevis is coming in and getting big outs and, you know, it's just wonderful to see where, you know, that's going to hopefully put them in a position moving forward where, yeah. you know, they know that it's like, hey, I've done this in the past and it's not going to matter whether, you know, it's games in April or meaningful games in September against division yeah. teams. You know, been, been there, done that. All right, I'm going to take you back. UConn, mm -hmm. you guys had a super talented team, obviously. First of all, did you realize you guys were that – did you realize you were that talented when I say, you can say, hey, really good college baseball player, but the number of big leaguers and impactful big leaguers is very unusual? You know, it is, I think, relative to the area of the country. You know, obviously, 
Northeast baseball isn't really something that people really think about. You know, yeah, you're not LSU, you're not Southern Cal, ASU, right? And even when you look down the roster and you see, you know, the hometowns of guys, right. it's like Florida, Texas, California, Dominican, Venezuela. You right. know, it's like, you know, I'm the anomaly because I'm from Massachusetts and everything like that. And um, you know, we knew we were talented. Um, you know, we played in a fairly competitive division. You know, we would have, you know, Louisville was always nationally ranked. Uh, Notre Dame was always a tough game. Um, St. John's always played us tough. You know, so we had some some quality talent in our conference in the old Big East. And then, you know, obviously, you know, we weren't playing the best of teams during the midweek. You know, you play like Boston College. They were pretty good usually. You know, so we knew we had a good team's. And I don't think it was really until we would get to the playoffs where it's like, okay, this is this is now, you know, we're really getting tested now. Right. Um, but it's been really tremendous to see the impact that, you know, um, guys like Matt, Matt Barnes and George Springer and Nick Ahmed and, you know, just recently Anthony Kay got up to the big leagues, another UConn product with uh, now with uh, Toronto. He got mixed up in that Stroman trade. Um, but you know, so it, it, it's, to me, it's truly incredible that, you know, you see so many guys make so many impacts on a big league club. And to me, you know, I can't speak for the other guys, but to me, it, it goes back to our head coach and James Penders and the work ethic and the mindset that he instilled in guys where it's like, Hey, you know, nobody cares about you. We're inside. Nobody feels sorry for you. We have to have a blue collar mentality. So we have to show up, we have to work. And when we go down and play those Southern teams, we got to be ready. And, you know, he not only got us ready for, you know, our own collegiate games, but I think he also prepared guys for not only professional baseball, but also for life after college, you know, where guys are on their own for the first time. So he's kind of like the surrogate father, um, you know, when we're away, away from our family and everything like that. And, you know, he instills a lot of lessons and mantras where it's like, hey, you know what? You have to take some responsibility and you have to do the work. And, you know, you see that with all of the guys that, you know, have made it up to the big leagues. And, and as talented as all those guys are, they wouldn't be where they're at without the putting in the work ethic. I got a great kick out of the interview you did with, uh, with, your, with your very close friend, George Springer. Uh, on AT&T Sportsnet, and my favorite line Springer had is that you were like a 45-year-old man uh, when you were 19 years old. You can respond now. Yeah, I mean, I think it, <laughs> it, it was it was a little bit of a combination between, um, you know, it, we didn't really get into it in that interview, but, you know, I had gotten diagnosed with, uh, with arthritis at the time. So, you know, what right. 20-year-old is right. getting diagnosed with freaking arthritis? So... <laughs> You know, so that kind of started it, it, fit. it. It fit. And then, you know, I was always kind of, you know, interested in the newspapers. You know, there'd be, you know, a bunch of periodicals around campus that were free. So I'd just, you know, pick them up, start reading them, whatever. And, you know, kind of always interested in, in learning and things like that. And, you know, um, and then obviously, you know, I have a start having cups of coffee and, and you know, <laughs> started that bad habit. But, um, you know, so it would just kind of be a running joke that, um, you know, I'd be like the first guy down at breakfast with a newspaper and a coffee in hand. And, you know, and everybody's kind of giving me this weird look. But I'm just, you know, kind of in my own world there. But, um, you know, so. Hey, sounds like a fit. Yeah, yeah, no. But, you know, it was, we had some, 
some really, really good times um, together, not only on the field, but off the field. And, um, you know, he's George is definitely one of um, one of my best friends, you know, not only baseball, but in life. And, you know, we were in each other's weddings and, you know, obviously share, you know, a bond that goes beyond, um, you know, surface level type uh, type relationships. So. Scotty, thanks, man. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. That interview brought to you by our friends at Ideal Home Loans. So besides Scott Oberg, how do you see this bullpen shaping up or maybe some more some faces more prevalent next season than they were this season? Well, there's a couple of guys and we, we were chatting about them with Scott in Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez. And earlier we were talking about when we were taping this podcast, the Rockies win a ball game two to one over St. Louis, who's leading the NL Central. And Carlos Estevez with traffic out there, two big punch outs of of Matt Carpenter and and Dexter Fowler. I mean, he he throws a hundred miles an hour. That's what the games come to. It's a yeah. power game. And he is made of the right stuff. So is Jairo Diaz. He ends up getting a save throwing two innings because Carlos Estevez back stiffened up a little bit. Those guys are made of the right stuff. It's not just having the stuff to pitch in late innings, kind of as we say, being nasty enough, which both of those guys are. Not everybody has the the makeup, Julie. You know this. You've covered sports forever. You've covered baseball for a long time. To pitch in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning when you have a lead, I think without question, Oberg, Estevez, and Diaz are going to be three guys that are part of the solution in that Rockies pen in twenty twenty. The Rockies are kind of hamstrung though with in the bullpen with contracts. Yes. Well, it, it'll be an interesting off season because yeah. yes, um, Brian Shaw has another year left. Jake McGee has another year left. Wade Davis. Uh, has another year left, and and it's been in varying degrees disappointing for all three of those guys. Hey, speaking of disappointing, how about that Broncos game? Disappointing. Here's the thing, though. I didn't think they were going to win anyway. I, I wasn't it, there. It's on the road. It's the opener. It's not like the Broncos were coming off a fantastic season. They were almost just as bad as the Raiders. So I think for people that were shocked that the Broncos lost. It was one game. It was incredibly ugly. And there were things in that game that I didn't think that we would see. But I didn't feel like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. But here's the counter to that. The Raiders were coming off the most tumultuous week of any team in professional sports. They were the number one story because of Antonio Brown for days on end. And then you wonder, well, how are they what, what's going to sh- forget that he doesn't participate. He never really did participate right. for them. But what's that done to the other fifty-two guys, or now fifty-three, that are going to line up and play the Broncos? How big a distraction has it been? Um, they haven't been worth a damn anyhow. Their defense was was awful last year, and then the Broncos come out, and their calling card was going to be defense. And Derek Carr looked like Phil Simms in the Super Bowl against the Broncos. He couldn't miss a pass. Do you remember a few years ago the when Derek when Derek Carr led that team to twelve and four? We should all hope, as people that follow the Broncos or Bronco fans, that he does not return to that form. I think Derek Carr is a big wild card. Actually, he's a good player. He's a good athlete. I think he is too. Yeah, but but the defense was supposed to lead yeah. this Broncos. Now it's one football game. I understand right. that. And he got rid of the ball quickly, and guys were open. They didn't throw the ball for the most part of Chris Harris. Um, the Broncos have some issues at the other corner right now, 
And if you didn't know that Miller and Chubb played for the Broncos, you wouldn't have known at any point during the game because their name was never mentioned. Mm -hmm. That might have been the biggest surprise, I guess, what we saw on Monday night is that you're right. It was Vic Fangio was supposed to bring this defense. All we heard about in the preseason was how great this defense was, and we didn't see one iota of that. Now you talked about. Are you talking about Yadam at the other corner? Well, I was. I didn't want to call him out by name. But <laughs> Am I the meaner did. one on this podcast? Is that what we're learning? You, you're going to be yes. You 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 know it fits you. No, no, no he's young. Good. You know he had a terrible game. But I mean, he's in his second season. I'm not excusing it. And Bryce Callahan was hurt. Like, that's another big thing that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. This is a guy that was brought in for a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be on the on the other side of Chris Harris that really we haven't seen hardly any of in preseason. There have been other guys. Listen, Sue Cravens was brought in a year ago and he was going to be a you know hybrid safety and he mm-hmm. barely played last year yeah. and then he got released. So I'm, I'm not saying Callahan's going to be a bust, but he's hurt. They do need help on that side. One of the first things, and you know this, that offensive coordinators do when they break down film in preparation for an opponent is they look at where they believe they have favorable matchups. So when you look at Chris Harris on one side, you're going to say, well, you know what? Wherever he is, probably not the number one option right. when we ask our quarterback to go through his progression. Let's try to get so-and-so on this guy. And, and that's what you do. It's the same thing in the run game. If you feel like, hey, we feel like we have better matchups when we run right, you're going to see team against that defensive front. You're going to see teams, you know, run right if they feel that's a favorable matchup. And, and you know, so the Broncos got exposed. The one thing I worry about Yadam is that he had such a tough rookie year because there were so many injuries and he got a lot more playing time than I think he or the coaches wanted that I think his psyche just got hammered last year. And then you start out, and you start out with a, cu- a few bad games. I mean, this guy has never yet known success, right, in the NFL. So I think that's going to be something interesting to watch. I do think, though, we we did see – so give me one or two things that I would say positive. For me, it was Cortland Sutton that, you know, he he – it seemed like he and Flacco had a, had a good connection. Sutton was going up the middle – I, we wanted to see them from Sutton from a long time. We didn't get to see that last year. I, I like Court, Cortland Sutton, and I and I, he has he has big playability. He's a physical receiver. Uh, I thought he played well in Week One. I thought you know for two and a half quarters they forgot that Emmanuel Sanders was actually still on the Broncos and was no longer nursing an Achilles tendon tear. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did some really good things late. I thought, by and large, that Joe Flacco threw the ball fine. I, I think that you didn't come out of it going, oh, boy, the Broncos right. have a quarterback right. issue yet again. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it, how it plays out going forward. But overall, you can't come away from that and not be a little disappointed because you felt like the Broncos' defense, it's gonna, that's going to be their calling card. It's not going to be a Raider juggernaut going forward. And the offense didn't produce a ton against a team that was dead DFL, right? DFL last year in a number of defensive categories. So Vic Fangio, I think, was a media darling in the preseason. I think the fans got behind him. I think the players got behind him. From what you saw, it was one game. But from what you saw from Vic Fangio, do you kind of reevaluate or do you go, wait a sec, this is 
a guy's first game. No, it, completely unfair to, to start having a, you know, to make a sweeping broad paintbrush statement based on one game or three games. You know, we'll see how th- after three games, how things play out. But that that's unfair. Um, because honestly, I think in professional sports, the head coach in football can have the greatest effect on a team's ability to win. Number two, and and way down the list from there, probably is, is maybe a basketball coach. Then it, you know, then it baseball, hockey. It comes down to talent. The Broncos' talent level. You and I were talking last week. You know, there there were some people prognosticating a double, you know, digit victory total, and you and I both agreed that's highly unlikely. Would we love to see it? Sure, but highly unlikely. So. No okay. chance after what we just saw. No, I would I would doubt it, but I didn't think that going into the Raider game. Mm-hmm. I do think that was a very winnable winnable first game for the Broncos. So you know, Vic Fangio, this is not he's not a miracle worker. And let's see again how everything unfolds and transpires. But you still got to have the horses. Yeah. And the Broncos are not anywhere close to the most talented roster in the NFL. Speaking of talent, we just touched on this. Antonio Brown, is he one of the most unlikable characters in sports now because of how he's acted and what he's been allowed to get away with? I don't know if he's unlikable. I think he's a baby. I think he's a diva. I don't dislike the guy. I think he's ridiculous. I wouldn't want him on the Broncos. I know a lot of people disagree with me. I think there's that guy's a, a cancer. Well, there's only one team for me that he could play for, and the one that that he went to, the the one that he went to, because you can't f up there, because they win, they win championships, they have Tom Brady, they have Bill Belichick. If mm-hmm. you step out of line there, the next team you're going to play for is the Edmonton Eskimos, <laughs> right? Right. Or the Montreal Alouettes, and maybe they nice wouldn't even. Pull. Yeah, that maybe they wouldn't even take you. Right. What is somewhat bothersome is that where else other than professional sports can you act in that manner, tape conversations with other people, your bosses, and then and then put it out on social media and keep your gig. Wasn't he or the one- find another gig? That would not fly in any other business. But we We'll always give the pass to the uber-talented professional athlete. Now, if he was a second-string tight end, he'd be done. Can't act that way. He'd be done. Wasn't he the one when he was with Pittsburgh that taped a halftime speech? Yeah. Yeah, he gets away with it where wherever he is. Who, 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 who wants that? Do you want it for the Broncos? Hell no. I don't care. I If I was in charge, no. No. It sends the wrong message to the other guys. It sends the wrong message to the community of fans. No. Do you think the community of fans really does care, though? You cover the, you've covered the Rockies for 18 years. I'll ask you this. Um, who was the pitcher that— Danny Nagel? No, they had to pay like $20 million to. That ended up having a— um, The domestic— Yes. That Jose Reyes. The Jose shortstop. Reyes. I, I felt like—I didn't feel good about that. I'm sure I don't I doubt you felt good about that. How do you feel Rockies fans felt about signing Jose Reyes? No, that happened after the trade. He was he was part of the trade for Troy Tulowitzki and then in the off season he had an alleged incident in Hawaii mm-hmm. with his wife. Mm-hmm. He never played again for the Rockies. I okay. applaud Dick Montford. Yeah. Dick Montford 
ate a lot of money. $20 million, right? And got rid of him. Yeah. Let okay, him go. Okay, so that's a... That's they, a he never played again for the Rockies after that incident. So that's an example, a rare example then of when teams do that, because I feel like that's way more rare to see somebody eat $20 million than it is for a team to take a guy maybe at a college with a very checkered past and still draft him. Mm-hmm. And to me, at some point in time, yeah, some guys deserve um, you know, second chances. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can you know, put off, uh, excuse certain behavior as young, immature. We've all made mistakes. I'm not trying to come off seriously as, as holier than now. Mm-hmm. But when it's a repeated type of action and with Antonio Brown this is a guy that has had issues time and time again what we we forgot we didn't even talk about the damn helmet really everybody else had to conform to one of I think 10 new helmets or 10 companies that were approved or whatever number was you can't find a damn helmet that works for you you can only wear this one helmet that you wore in Pittsburgh stop I'm trying to find a light way to end this podcast, and I, I, I don't know a light way to end this podcast. Um. Oh, wait a second, Kristen, our marketing guru, brought us Cracker Jacks. Have, I feel like now we're in this habit. Here, of, here's your Cracker Jacks. Okay, we're in the we habit prizes. of reading we did, our. We did fortune cookies last time. Yeah. I like that how fired up you got. Uh, what did I get fired up about, Antonio Brown? I don't yeah. want him on my team. I bet you there's a lot of people in the league, if, mm-hmm. if you interviewed the players, mm-hmm. there'd be a ton of players that said, get them out of here. I have no what desire. They, well, what if they help you win? What if they help you get to the Super Bowl? And what if they help you get a game check? I'm playing well, devil's advocate. Well, last time I checked, the New England Patriots were Super Bowl champs. Yeah. Without them. Last time I checked, they won week one, 33-3 without them. Doesn't it make the Patriots that more unlikable? Yeah. Of course it, of course it does. Wait. Can you like win? I mean, is there any chance like you opened the one Cracker Jacks box and you win like a million dollars? Is there any chance of that? I'm going to ask you this question and I want you to look me in the eye and answer me honestly. Yeah. If you won $400 million in the lottery, would you quit your job? No. We've had this conversation. You mean how much idle time you have traveling and on the road and you ask, you know, we ask each other ridiculous questions? I'm very (laughs) fortunate and privileged. I absolutely. Love what I do, mm-hmm. and I would not, you know, sure some people are bummed out about that, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't quit. I may, I may do a few less games, mm-hmm. you know, but like ten. <clears throat> but I, I enjoy what I do. So, okay. you know, here, here's my thought on that, really quickly. Since you broached that subject, I think retirement is bad for most people. No matter how much money you have, you still have to have a purpose every day when you get up. Now, there are those rare individuals that could fill up their day and and a multitude of days going forward. If they didn't have to worry about working, you know, they would, you know, plant a brand new garden and tend to it every day. And then they would build, you know, they'd become a painter and they would play golf and play bridge and whatever. The way I'm wired is I like, you know, going to the ballpark. I like I like working. I like the art of broadcasting sports. So. Um, I hope I do win. I don't know how I'd win $400 million, but um, I don't understand what this prize is. I want. So this is this. <laughs> this so, okay. Yeah. I'll read mine. Go ahead. We thank you for joining us for podcast number nine. We can't wait to see you next week for podcast number 10. If you like this podcast or just somewhat thought it was okay, tell your friends. And reach and uh, and spread the good word and spread the good word. We're going to do that one more week. What do you say? We are. If you retweet and subscribe to our podcast, you get a chance to win an autographed book.
Yeah, a, a book I did with Ben Hockman yeah. uh, called Colorado Rockies. If these walls could talk. Did no, you just forget gonna, the name of your book? I didn't forget the name of the book. I was going to, because actually they have on there tales from, you know, the dugout and the clubhouse, et cetera. Gotcha. It's kind of a long title. Okay, a very long title, but this yeah. is the show that um, definitely gives you things. So we'll see you next week for podcast number 10. Absolutely. What do you want when you gotta eat something? And it's gotta be sweet, and it's gotta be a lot, and you gotta have it now. That's what you get.